All right, welcome, everybody. Welcome tonight to all you stalwarts who are here at uh, the Climate Crisis uh, Forum. Uh, my name is Carol Barford, and uh, I am a relatively new member of League of Women Voters and an even newer member of uh, the Climate Crisis Forum. But I'm very pleased to participate and very glad to be here tonight. Just want to note that this is the second in the series. We had a, a, a forum um, focused on public health and climate change back in September, and now we have this one on local government. There will be one uh, in February, February 5th, related to agriculture and connections with climate change, and then also in April there will be one having to do with water. So. Uh, I would also like to welcome our colleagues who are joining us via live streaming, especially uh, the group, the League of Women Voters group in La Crosse, who are helping us to explore the, uh, the live streaming uh, way of engaging people. Um, they are welcomed to um, send their questions uh, for answering later on in the forum uh, via Facebook and the comments section, I believe. Um, I would also like to note for everybody that we have half sheets over there that uh, give you directions for finding the study materials from this forum, which are posted on the League of Women Voters Dane County website. Um, there are some other materials over there as well, and I am obligated to say that the League does not necessarily endorse any literature from outside groups and organizations, but it's, it's there for your convenience. So. Um, I would like to uh, let everybody know what's going to happen tonight. Here the format is going to be a little different, a little longer than normal. Uh, we're going to start in with a primer given to us by um, our own Ralph Peterson. He gave a very general intro to uh, climate change, global warming uh, last at the last forum, but today he's going to really focus in on local and regional effects. Um, and then we're going to proceed to our panel of guests. Uh, who will each have uh, prepared remarks, three folks, and then from there to what we're calling a lightning round of prepared questions that uh, the guests are going to answer. Then we're going to have a seventh inning stretch. It's going to be about 8.30 at that point. Everybody can stand up and move around, and anybody who needs to leave, is, is uh, that would be a good time to do, although, of course, anybody who needs to leave before that should feel free to do so. And we'll have an extended question and answer period from about 8.30 to 8.50 then. So that's uh, what we're doing tonight. Um, so without any further ado, I would like to introduce our speakers and tell you a little bit about them. Uh, Ralph Peterson is going to talk first. He developed an early awareness and abiding interest in the environment while growing up on a small dairy farm and attending a one-room school in southeastern Wisconsin. After, by the way, Ralph, could you stand up and turn around and say who you are? Um, thank you. After receiving his PhD in meteorology from the University of Wisconsin, he spent most of his career at NASA and the National Weather Service, where his work was recognized with the Department of Commerce's second highest award, an individual silver medal. He's a fellow of the American Meteorological Society and works part-time as a senior scientist at UW's Space Science and Engineering Center, focusing on improving short-range predictions of severe thunderstorms and heavy rain events. Uh, next speaker is going to be Sherry Gruder. Sherry, can you stand please for a minute? Yes. She is Sustainable Design and Energy Specialist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Extension. She provides statewide education and technical assistance on sustainable community development, sustainable energy strategies, and green building to Wisconsin communities, local and state governments, and businesses. 
Her work enhances energy and sustainability literacy based on critical thinking about the relationships of energy with factors such as cost, human and environmental health, economic development, local self-reliance, and climate change. Sherry has served on numerous local, state, and national boards and committees related to energy and climate. She's a lead accredited professional and is trained in Sweden on the natural step. Next speaker after Sherry is going to be Dave Merritt. Dave, hello. Hey. Dave is the Director of Policy and Program Development for Dane County's Department of Administration. Since 2009, he's managed Dane County's Cow Power Project including the, first, the state's first two community manure digesters, which create renewable energy and reduce phosphorus runoff to our nearby lakes. Dave also coordinates the county's 100% renewable energy program, including the 58-acre, 9-megawatt solar facility at the Dane County Regional Airport. Before the Cow Power Project, Dane, Dave served for five years as project coordinator of the Dane County Clean Air Coalition, a public-private partnership of businesses, schools, and government agencies that works to improve Dane County air quality. Before that, he served for six years as executive director of the Wisconsin Citizens Utility Board. And last but not least, we have Stacy Reese. Stacy is a sustainability program coordinator for the city of Madison. Prior for working for the city, she was the sustainability coordinator for the city of Middleton, as well as the director of sustainable business initiative for the nonprofit Sustain Dane. She holds a Bachelor of Science degree in sustainable management from UW and is an alumna of Leadership Greater Madison. She's been a resident member of the Sustainable Madison Committee where the resolution for 100% renewable energy and zero net carbon was drafted. The resolution was adopted by the City of Madison in 2017 and followed by the 100% Renewable Madison Report in 2019. Now, as City staff, her role is to help Madison achieve these goals and build a more sustainable and resilient community. So thanks for your attention through all that. Now you know who everybody is, and I am going to uh, hand off to Ralph. Okay. Welcome. Um, yes, it is snowing outside. Yes, it is abnormally cold. Yes, this is, in fact, a potential sign of climate change. Uh, larger extremes, larger unpredictable extremes. Uh, not as long-lasting, but still they are uh, extremes that we see. And uh, we have variability that, that we uh, have noted in the past. Or, yes, which is the point? There it is. Okay. Um, we're going to be talking about, this is the second forum on why local government matters, and we've had this logo, which shows the uh, trend in global temperatures for the last 150 plus years, showing obviously going from much colder temperatures in the, um, in the late 1800s to uh, about almost a degree centigrade, 1.8 degree Fahrenheit warmer now than we were uh, roughly 100, 120 years ago. And the rate of the warming is accelerating. But what we want to do is we want to do comparisons with what's happening locally. So the first thing we have to do to be able to do this is actually fiddle with, uh, actually we're going to look at a review first of what we talked about last time, which is what is causing this warming. And 
the cause is fundamentally goes down to an increase in carbon dioxide. We have a very good record of carbon dioxide variability from Mauna Loa. Uh, coming, started in 1958. That's the, when we started to make these measurements. Why don't we go back further? We can't. Uh, can't direct, have direct measurements, but this curve, it's increasing and the rate of increase is increasing, similar to what we see in this same period on the temperature increased curve globally. Why is it happening? Well, the carbon dioxide is a normal element in the atmosphere. It serve, has served for millennia as part of the natural radiator in the atmosphere. Sunlight comes down from the, from the sun, obviously, hits the earth, warms the earth, warms the atmosphere a bit while it's going through the atmosphere. Then that heat on the earth to prevent us from becoming overheated, that heat from the earth is radiated back out into space, but some of that is trapped in the atmosphere and radiated back down to the earth. Look at the moon. The moon is either very hot on the sunny side or extremely cold on the other side. This moderates our day-night temperature changes and moderates the, uh, our, makes our planet livable. In fact, we have evolved because we match this kind of environment. By increasing the amount of CO2, however, we still allow the same amount of sunlight to come through, but the atmosphere is absorbing more of the radiation the Earth is trying to send to space, more of that is being trapped in the atmosphere and then sent, being sent back down to the Earth. Uh, the so-called so greenhouse effect, which is in fact not a greenhouse effect, but it's, it's um, a similar uh, process. But increasing the amount of carbon dioxide increases the amount of re-radiation and upsets the normal radiative radiator process that the atmosphere has been having for the globe. Um, now, we want to talk briefly about the uh, impacts this has had locally. Again, a repeat of our global, global chart, but to look at the global uh, local changes, we actually have to do a little trick here which is not trick at all, but we're simply changing the height of our axis because our local changes and local variability is larger than what we see globally. If we look at North America, and the record for this is not uh, from a different source, doesn't go back as far as our, the other global record, but we see in here a nice level period of relatively constant climate when many of us were growing up. We can remember that period, winter after winter was the same, summer after summer was the same. And then in the late 60s, early 70s, we started to see this increase in temperature. What we, if we look at just North America and compare that to the rest of the globe, um, we see that the North American temperature has increased more than we saw for the globe, uh, about another 30% warmer then the globe has warmed totally. What do we see in last discussions? The equator is warmed less, the polar areas are warming more. As you go towards the poles, we should be seeing more warming. And uh, also the variability that you have year to year increases as you go further towards the poles. Uh, and the best trend fit line now is showing an increase of about 2.2 
2 degrees Fahrenheit instead of that 1.7 or 1.8. So yes, we are having more warming over North America than we did over the globe. Um, let's look at Madison in particular. If we look at Madison, again, we see that same relatively constant period followed by warming afterwards. Um, importantly, the coldest winters were in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Then we came through a period where we had relatively constant length uh, temperatures in winters. Our, for our worst winters were about the same uh, in period. But what we're seeing these last 30 years is more hot summers to go along with these warmer winters, and in fact, uh, warmer winters in these years as well. Again, relatively flat period, and then right around 1970, warming after that. Um, and the variability, year-to-year -year variability, increased more than it was even for the Northern Hemisphere. So again, we're adding more local uh, contributions. Now, any local record can have hidden effects. Are these, uh, are, is Madison being affected by that? In particular, uh, stational location changes for observing stations, and are there heat island effects? Madison is, has a very good long-term record of surface observations. It has one problem. The station changed from North Hall on campus to Truax Field. So that has disrupted the record in Madison itself, if you look at the raw data. And then there, have, there has been heating as the suburbs have, have spread out. So let's compare this Madison to Lone Rock. Near neighbor, definitely in the, outside, uh, uh, in the country, and we still see the same pattern. Lone Rock is a little colder. We know Lone Rock is a cold location, but it's a little colder. And it has had just slightly less warming than Madison, but still that overall pattern is the same. Uh, Lake Monona, Mendota, a very good record. These are the number of ice-free days in Lake Monona. And what we see is from roughly 1900 to 1970, almost uniform. And then we've increased by roughly 30 days, 20 days, since 1970 till now on the average number of ice-free days. The lake is an absorber of heat. It retains heat. It is a very good measure of the overall long-term heating. Um, so the signals are clear and consistent, and the impacts, even though the local impacts are modulated, now, that was half of the presentation. The other half is going to be very quickly setting the stage for our next folks, which is having been a National Weather Service employee, want to talk about what climate services are, are provided by the federal government. And then you can talk about the, the local government. The National Weather Service provides weather, water, and climate services to the public so they're general forecasts to the public, not specialized for protection, safety, and general information. Real easy website to remember, weather.gov. Um, and a lot of information there. Uh, it, weather Service takes observations, does analysis, and produces forecasts of weather, rivers and coasts, climates, 
hazard warnings of hazardous weather and floods. River forecasting is a weather service responsibility and affected by climate change, other severe climate events, and also works internationally on aviation and marine forecasting responsibilities. Um, also has a responsibility for taking observations. Uh, Balloon-borne and surface observations across the U.S. and some surrounding areas. Uh, U.S. here includes all U.S. territories, so this includes places like Samoa that we uh, have to take our observations for. And we have to remember that weather observations are also climate observations. The same observations are used for both processes. Uh, also, radar observations and then other parts of NOAA operate the satellite systems and do the primary work in understanding and forecasting weather and climate. Uh, climate Prediction Center is a key part of the Weather Service. Uh, it produces, uh, here are two examples of the seasonal temperature and precipitation forecast. It also works very closely with the Department of Agriculture in produce, producing uh, drought monitor, monitoring drought conditions and producing drought forecasts. Uh, one of the questions also, which is, isn't on the, the test, but what does it cost us? What do our climate and weather service cost us? Uh, two ways of looking at it. One is by an eye chart. Dare, to, dare you to look at that for a long time. The other is to put it in more practical terms. Your, the cost to the weather service for a year's service to each of you is less than the cost of a single Big Mac. The cost of all of NOAA's observations, which are available free of charge to anyone, including the private sector, is Big Mac fries and a shake. Pretty good value meal. Thank you. Well, good evening. Um, it, what a wonderful turnout tonight. So what I'm going to talk to you about um, in the time that I have, and will somebody give me a five-minute warning? Ah, great. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then a two-minute. Because <laughs> um, I could talk for hours. But anyway, what I'm, what I'm going to present to you tonight is... Um, why local governments really do matter and how our local governments in Wisconsin are really the main driver of us moving toward energy independence. And then I'm going to concentrate on what's happening uh, in Dane County, not only independently with individual municipalities, but collaboratively. And then you'll get more of that from each of our other speakers. So let's start. Um, in the state of Wisconsin, we have 150 local governments and tribes and school districts that have pledged through a resolution to become energy independent. Most of this happened in 2009 and 10 uh, when Governor Doyle was our governor. And the definition at that point in 2009 and 10 of energy independence was to generate 25% of our energy locally from renewable resources. And that was for uh, electricity, heat, and transportation fuels. Well, 
in our state, we had at the time over $15 billion leaving the state to buy fossil fuel energy. Uh, we don't mine it here. And now we're down to somewhere between, the, it varies between over 13.9 billion to 14 point something billion. Every year goes out of our state. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't rotate in our, in our economy. It leaves. So this is not good for us economically. Also, in that time, uh, Wisconsin has warmed two to three degrees um, Fahrenheit, and it's expected to warm three to nine degrees Fahrenheit by the mid-21st century. So things have changed since uh, two, 10 years ago. Uh, what we see is that that resolution to get to 25% renewable energy locally is not going to help us solve this climate crisis. What has happened since then? Well, um, many things. Uh, first of all, the price of solar has fallen 80%, and um, wind and solar is now cheaper than coal and even natural gas. So that's huge. In addition, we've had uh, awareness of people fighting back about science that matters. We've seen the youth uh, have a climate strike. Many of you, I think, were there. I recognize some of you. And, um, of course, we had the IPCC report, the International Panel on Climate Change, that said, whoa, we have 10 years, really, to get our act together here, or we're going to live on an unforgiving planet. And in addition, in Wisconsin, we have had huge climate events, big flooding, and in Dane County, for instance, and that's a picture of it, in August of 2018, we had so much damage and even a loss of life. So in a decade, um, what we're doing is we went from conventional energy to a transitional stage of saying we should get to 25% renewables locally by 2025 to now needing to do transformational change, which means we need to get to 100% by 2050 of clean energy. So um, in our area here in Dane County, uh, what we've seen is that local governments have passed resolutions to get to 100% using 25% as their first uh, mark marker, and um, by 2025, although some of, actually many of them have already surpassed that. So Madison passed a resolution. Uh, this, in parentheses, is the population of each of these cities. Middleton in 2018, followed by Fitchburg and Monona within days of each other. And also the Madison Metropolitan School District. And then, of course, we have Dane County, um, which for the last year and a half has had a big coalition working on the various aspects of, of climate change and how do we get to deep decarbonization. So when you take just these four municipalities, not including the county, that's 56% of the population in Dane County. And so getting those municipalities to 100% would really move us um, in a big way. So um, what Dane County did is they um, had their climate action planning uh, they had a council, and they had 10 working groups. Um, I happen to have been on three of them. 
Um, they also got a grant to do modeling, uh, which was very high-powered modeling and, and enable them to take all of the recommendations that came out of the different working groups and turn it into a plan that I think is going to be released maybe at the end of this week. Um, so this is great timing. Um, it said plan in August, but that's been delayed. Um, and then the important thing is that Dane County has been showing great leadership and um, not only are they doing things on their own to move themselves and their operations to clean energy, but they're helping the communities to do so too. And it's this collaborative model that really is going to make us be able, I think, to reach these goals. So um, the municipal elements, we've got um, community involvement, activism, and support. We have the cities have sustainable energy committees or energy committees. They have a staff point person who's responsible for measurement and tracking of what's going on. And there's been a lot of education of city council members um, and commitments made and also to have this integrated into budgets. So for any local government, that's those are important elements. Also, key collaborators um, and partnerships with local organizations, as I said, the county government with uh, UW-Madison, with Madison Extension, with um, the utilities are a key partner in this, and then um, business leaders. So the, um, the keys to getting to 100% uh, clean energy proliferation, we're talking about piggybacking on programs that we already have. Um, Solar group buys, where people, and how many of you actually have participated in a solar group buy? Anybody here? Oh, great. So um, that's when the, um, a municipality will let create a coordinated education effort um, to teach people about what it would take to put solar on their own houses or on their businesses, and then gets professionals in to look at, are your roofs you know, um, actually um, solar ready? Are they oriented right? What would it cost? And then, because there are a number of people doing it all together, they get a lower price, they do the bidding for you, and, and um, the installation winds up costing less, sometimes as much as 20% less than it would be if you went on your own, plus you don't have the hassle of figuring everything out. So there's that. There's community solar. Um, you probably heard, it was in the paper last week, that there was a groundbreaking for a second community solar um, option at Middleton's Maury Field Airport. And so you can sign up to get half of your annual energy use, electricity use, from Madison Gas and Electric from a community solar garden being built locally. And um, there, we... We are working on things like bus and van transit because transportation is a big part of our carbon footprint, uh, electric vehicle charging stations, stations, regional transit systems, tree canopy planting is huge. We need to you know, bring that carbon, sequester that carbon. And then land use, um, incorporating that into walkable communities, get people out of the cars. Okay, 
So the city scope is buildings, fleet, infrastructure, urban planning, and city trees. And here you have pretty pictures of all of that happening in Dane County. Um, Community-wide um, is another part. It's not just city operations. If we don't all partake in it, we're never going to get to 100%. So that's for electricity, for heat, for transportation, and trees. How do we electrify our heat, get away from natural gas? That was a big focus of what happened at the um, Dane County Climate Coalition uh, working group. And then um, what are these municipalities doing? Well, Stacy's going to talk to you about Madison, um, but planning is a big part of it, implementing programs, and then, again, not just thinking on a one-off, but thinking in a big sense. So the city has over 23 individual roofs with solar on them, so they generate a megawatt from that. But they thought bigger. We can't just do it a megawatt at a time or a few, you know, hundred KW at a time. And so what they did is they went out and they found a project in um, Io County with a, where um, um, Organic Valley was going to um, put solar out there for farmers and go 100% renewable energy. And there was excess that could have been built, and, Dane, and Madison bought it. That added 14 megawatts. That'll cover 35% of city electric op, um, electrification. So that was a huge jump from one on 24 buildings to one purchase to get them to 35% of their energy output and 14 megawatts. Um, Middleton did a climate referendum. Um, it was the first in the nation in 2016. 81% of the community said they support climate policy and action to reduce the risks of global warming. That allowed the, the um, community to move forward on passing their 100% renewable resolution. There was a lot of footwork in that one. So what Middleton has done is they did the first solar shares, community shares with MG&E. Um, and they said, well, in return for using our municipal operations center to put 500 kW on, we'd also like you to give us solar, so it got put on the police building. And then um, the newest one, uh, the new field that's being built, is 5 megawatts. And the city bought, through a renewable <laughs> energy rider with mg and 500 megawatts, and the school district bought 1 megawatt. So 1.5 megawatts going toward um, their energy use. When that plus three small building um, solar installations happen in Middleton, they'll be at 50% renewable electricity for city operations uh, within the next two years. Um, next is Fitchburg. They um, have done a Soul Smart Bronze. They're going for 100% renewable electricity by 2030 for city operations, um, not necessarily community-wide, and, um, and a 50% energy reduction. Energy efficiency is a big part of this. It's not just renewable energy. And so right now, um, they have solar providing 21% of electricity for city operations, and they're about to enter into an RER with MG&E, um, on a 20-megawatt solar field that's going into a farm in Fitchburg. Monona had the first third-party solar financing in the state, which is now in the courts. Not there, theirs, but just third-party financing. 
Um, but they put four rooftop arrays on. They're so small, and it provided 30% of city electricity for city operations. But they're so small, they don't have more buildings and land to put it on. So they're finding other ways um, to make this happen. They held a 100% climate rally, and 120 people in the community came out, including elected officials. Um, they did a community energy survey, and they're now working on ways to, you know, increase their renewable energy. And then finally, um, the school district, amazing Madison Metropolitan School District, committed to 100% clean energy. The students raised uh, over, I think, $145,000 to put solar on the high school, but also um, got over 2,000 signatures to put to the school board to say, we really want this. And they were successful, and it's the first one that's been done. So um, the message, it's a collective race to renewables. We can work together. We can work independently. The action is happening at the local level. It's not happening at the state level. It's certainly not happening at the federal level. But we've been making progress in Wisconsin because our local governments, our tribes, and our school districts and others are working together to make this happen, even without the policies, without enough money. Um, and we're just moving along and moving along quickly. And I don't know if you heard, but just one announcement that um, just last week, Alliant Energy, which serves part of the territory here, um, announced that they are going to put in a gigawatt of solar by 2023 in Wisconsin, all of it in Wisconsin. So that will um, increase our solar that we have right now 10 times. It'll double what we'll have in a couple of years. So there's a lot of progress happening, and we need all of us to participate. Um, but here we have some really great examples of, um, of our municipalities doing this, and you'll hear more information um, from our other speakers. So thank you. Uh-oh. Uh, I work for Dane County. Um, Keith Riappel, who's the Dane County Executive's Director of our Office of Energy and Climate Change, was unable to be here today. He's actually has flown out to Washington, D.C. for a conference uh, currently happening of the World Resources Institute. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm subbing for Keith. I'll do my best Keith Riappel impersonation for you all tonight. Before I show you a short five-minute video, let, let, me, let me first answer for you why local governments matter. Many of you remember former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill. Of course, what Tip said is because all politics is local, right? We couldn't more agree. Um, certainly throughout our nation's history, changes always started at the local, go at the local government level. And while our president, oh, our former governor, Certainly some members of our state assembly, State Representative Voss, I'll just happen to do some name dropping here. <laughs> Certainly some members don't, of, of, of elected representatives don't feel this issue is of, of concern. We here in Dane County are going to listen to what scientists are telling us because science simply does matter. Local governments, local communities, businesses, we're all on the front line fighting for climate change emission reductions and fighting 
for a sustainable energy future for our children and, and grandchildren, certainly. Uh, certainly local governments, local businesses, local municipalities have become a key market catalyst in supporting and developing clean and renewable energy sources. And if I could show you a short video, I'll, um, we, uh, and because science matters, we were recently, Dane County was recognized by the American Association for the Advancement of Science. They are the largest uh, scientific membership organization uh, in the world. And as part of our uh, renewable natural gas work, we've 20, a $28 million project we recently completed at the Dane County Landfill. Uh, the American Association for the Advancement of Scientists recognized our efforts and produce this video you're about to see as part of a national program they just announced entitled How We Respond. I think in preparation for this forum you were, you were sent some of their materials of certainly that, that national program. But we feel honored as just uh, uh, to, to be recognized in uh, showing some of the efforts and, 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 and showing the case why, in fact, local governments do matter. You may have to adjust the sound because it may be very loud or not. <laughs> Maybe up a little. I've lost a job like mine is objective, reliable information. I need science, right? Yeah, social science or physical sciences. I mean, I need information. I need it to be right. So when it comes to a specific project like the landfill, it's all science. So when this idea was brought to me by staff people I really trust who are really good at what they do, we said, let's do it. Methane is a very powerful greenhouse gas, and everyone has methane gas from other lands, so everyone can do something with that gas. So the quandary for us is we don't want to just flare that gas off, but we have to figure out a way that it makes sense for the taxpayers also. Jill's, Jill's a really amazing person. He sees the big issues, and he says, we're going to take definitive action on this. And it's up to us at the department level to say, okay, let's, let's implement that plan. And as long as we show the science behind it, as long as we show the economics behind it, he's absolutely, he's 100% on board. They said, look, we can build a little factory that will take the gas and clean it, and we can feed it into the natural gas pipeline and both sell it for the cost of the gas, the, the price that the pipeline company will give us. Plus, there are now federal and state renewable energy credits that we could receive for that also. So we'll be bringing in several million dollars a year profit. It's not pure methane when it comes out of the landfill. It's about 55% methane, about 40 to 45% CO2, and trace amounts of other things. So what this new facility is doing is it's taking all those other things and pulling them out. At the end of the day, we have 98 to 99% pure methane to produce compressed natural gas. We already have about a third of our highway trucks, our snow plows, running on compressed natural gas that's generated from our landfill. And it works out to the cost for us for fueling our vehicles about a buck and a half a gallon. 
and it is the cleanest transportation fuel available. If you look at the, the bigger picture right here, I think what's driving us is not only our environmental ethic, but a sense of urgency. We have tremendous problems facing the world, not the least of which is climate change and the impacts that are happening there. Last year, we received 15 inches of rain in one event. We had severe flash flooding. Um, a gentleman lost his life in one of the floods. There was millions of dollars of damage to homes and businesses, and it was exactly what the climate change modeling predicted. You know, I have two daughters, and I think about as a parent what I want for my kids, what we all want, and we want them to be safe. We especially want that to be the case once we're gone. responsibility to do everything in our power and we have a lot in our power that we can do. Here in the economy said we're done waiting for the federal government, we're done waiting for the state government, we're going to take action. We invested 28 million dollars up front to make this happen. Just that amount of investment is enough to make a lot of municipalities and local governments say, well, that's, that's a lot. So we knew that if we could succeed in this project, we could have an impact across the state, across the nation, and maybe across the globe. Because now it's been done. And now we have technology and know-how that we want to share with other people. I don't accept looking at a problem and saying, okay, it's a problem, there's nothing we can do about it. There's a solution, there's a way. You know, I have two little kids. And it's very rewarding for me to know that I'm going to be able to tell them in the future, you know, here's a project that I did that made a difference in the world, made a difference environmentally. Think of what we've done in Dane County and think if that's replicated over and over and over across the country. We can make such a difference, and we have to make a difference. This isn't, this isn't some theoretical exercise. Our climate is in crisis, and we have to do something about it. So I, I hope that people see this as a way of realizing how much power they have to make change. So let me just mention um, important information that ended up on the so-called cutting room floor uh, for this video. We were, it was meant to be a five-minute video. Um, An important piece of information, which is really a, a, a first-in-the-nation effort, um, is an additional $5 million that we invested in what's called an offload station, where methane gas will be transported from our two existing community manure digesters uh, to, to the landfill. And so most recently, um, Brightmark Energy, which just bought the Wanakee Area Community Manure Digester, this is a digester, you know, accepting manure from 
almost 2,500 cows that has been producing over two megawatts of electricity for the last six, seven years. But because the buyback contracts that that facility has with the local utility, the Lion Energy, is about to expire in 2020, um, more money is available through the, these, these federal and state renewable energy credits um, where the digester was being paid nine cents a kilowatt hour. That was going to be reduced. The utility was only willing to, to pay three cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, something had to be done to keep the digester operating. That's why we did it at the landfill under an MG&E contract. They were paying 10 cents. We were only going to able to get 4 cents. That contract as well has now expired. And so that's why we invested $28 million in this renewable natural gas solution, fueling over 90 vehicles now of the Dane County fleet that, uh, to reduce further greenhouse gas emissions. But soon, uh, renewable compressed natural gas from the Wanaki Area Digester will actually be transported to our, our, our landfill facility. That will be their new revenue stream. And in the future, additional digesters will be able to build treating more manure, protecting our lakes, and enabling, uh, you know, a, a certainly a, a sustainable solution uh, to uh, and, and a way to further reduce egg uh, greenhouse gas emissions as well. The existing digesters uh, reduce uh, egg emissions about 22,000 tons a year, the equivalent of taking about 4,000 cars off the road every year. And so, um, hey, Dane County is a dairy is a dairy county. It's the 28th largest dairy producing county in the nation. Of course, the corollary there is also is the 28th largest manure producing uh, <laughs> county in the nation. And so, um, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. It's a public-private partnership that not only creates renewable energy and now renewable natural gas transportation fuels, but it's a very important way in the future of reducing agricultural emissions uh, from our over 60,000 cows here in beautiful Dane County. Just a few other items to quickly mention, and we'll get on to our, our, um, our last speaker, Stacy Reese from the City of Madison, and then our panel discussion. But I did want to mention, as Ralph said, you know, 150 years ago, science does matter because 150 years ago, ice did last four months on Lake Mendota. Today, it lasts three months. We don't need to look to melting glaciers. Uh, we don't need to look to melting polar ice. We can look to our own Lake Mendota as proof for us locally why we must all certainly take action. Uh, as Sherry had mentioned, uh, we were the first county in the state to develop an Office of Energy and Climate Change. Keith Riopelle is the director of that office. But most importantly, uh, the Dane County Climate Council has been meeting for about a year and a half now. Forty representatives, um, you know, from three utilities, seven different municipal governments, 
four community equity and justice organizations, seven businesses, the Madison Chamber of Commerce, two ag organizations, six environmental groups, labor unions, um, all meeting to produce a Dane County Climate Action Plan, which is expected out before the end of the year. And so you'll, you'll be hearing more from the Office of Climate Change, uh, certainly before the end of the year. It's, a, it's um, without telling the whole story, it's a climate action plan that will reduce countywide emissions by 50% by 2030. And certainly the goal of, 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 of zero uh, emissions, net zero, uh, by, by 20, 2050. You'll be hearing more on that as we approach uh, certainly the end of the year. But just a few other quick words on our, our work, uh, we most recently signed an agreement with Madison Gas and Electric. Uh, our Dane County Airport freed up what has been 60 acres of, of, of land that was producing corn and soybeans will soon be a nine megawatt solar field that will, pr that will provide over 40% of Dane County government's electricity. We certainly also have a goal of 100% renewable electricity we believe we will meet that goal within the next five years. Uh, what was important about this facility, this was a $16 million investment uh, by MG&E, not county tax dollars, but MG&E owning and operating a $16 million solar facility that we will be, that will be a sole provider to, to, to Dane County, saving over $130,000 a year on the county energy bill saving taxpayers $130,000 on the Dane County Energy Bill without the county spending any tax dollars. Uh, certainly, the, the, the prices of solar, as Sherry had mentioned, have come down drastically. We've most recently seen in Iowa County um, the Invenergy company building a 300-megawatt. Hard to imagine a 300-megawatt solar facility. You know, what we put on buildings here and currently of 100 kilowatts, you know, we're now, an, or 9,000 kilowatts at the airport. I mean, now we're into, into megawatts. We're into many more zeros. And most recently in Iowa County, you may have seen the news that the solar facility there um, is, is a 300 megawatt facility on over 2,000 acres. I can tell you here in Dane County, Energy developers are looking at thousands and thousands of acres, both in Southern Dane and Northern Dane, for similarly sized facilities. And so, yeah, in, in, in so many good ways, the, the, the transition is occurring, certainly much faster than I ever thought it was going to occur, but it is happening, giving, giving us that hope to make the energy transition happen. Um, just one last, uh, as we adapt to climate change, as that video mentioned, um, we, we all can recall the floods of just a short year ago. Um, and to prevent sort of the, the runoff that occurred, if you remember the Pheasant Branch Conservancy and the incredible destruction, well, that occurred throughout our community. But certainly that Pheasant Branch Conservancy and the floods that occurred because of the, of, of the, of the, of the Pheasant Branch Creek and the destruction that has now been repaired wonderfully by the city of Middleton. Just to the north uh, of that facility, the county just recently spent $10 million and purchased 160 acres uh, 
of land that will, instead of being a subdivision of impervious surfaces that contributes to further runoff, we will reduce runoff upwards of 5 million gallons of ye a year. And so when we talk about land use, certainly land use and how we develop our land here within the city of Madison and throughout our community, um, land use is incredibly important. And the county will continue to spend three millions, an additional three million dollars in County Executive Parisi's most recent budget, which will soon pass the Dane County Board just this coming Monday. Um, and so, um, just a few highlights for you of, of, of our efforts, and, but I couldn't more agree that local governments do matter. Um, County Executive Parisi likes to call it the art of the possible, and we, we think um, with, with that in mind, Dane County, the city of Madison, other municipalities throughout Dane County can contribute and do our part, walk the walk, and make sure that certainly here in Wisconsin, Dane County can, can lead the way and show other communities similarly how to fight that fight. Thank you very much. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for coming out on a snowy night. Um, I just also want to give a big shout out and thank you to the, the League for inviting us to come and speak tonight. Um, I'm very impressed with the work that they've done to really bring the climate crisis to the forefront of our community conversations. Um, and being that I'm the fourth and final speaker, I will be brief. A lot of really great things have already been said, so there will be a little bit of repeating, but I'm really excited to get to the panel event to get to our lightning round um, questions as well as to hear from, from the audience your questions as well. Um, so we're going to give you a, a quick journey through the city of Madison's work around our climate mitigation. Oh, there we go. <laughs> and uh, I really I started with our sustainability plan that was developed um, almost a decade ago. Uh, it was officially uh, adopted by the city in early 2012 um, with the work of Sherry Gruder actually on that committee, chairing that committee. Um, and uh, the goals that we set around uh, energy and carbon was an 80% reduction of carbon by 2050 and obtaining 25% of our electricity for heating, uh, transportation, and energy from clean, renewable sources. Um, but a lot had changed since that adoption in 2012. As we mentioned before, the cost of solar that's been repeated several times here, as well as the urgency of a lot of reports that were coming out. So the Sustainable Madison Committee uh, we developed a working group to go back to those goals we had set in the sustainability plan and to reevaluate those goals. We had about five public meetings, uh, and what was really important about those public meetings is that the, the community came out in full force. We had standing room only meetings. We had a lot of um, community organizations such as the Sierra Club, 350.org, come out and bring petitions of signatures asking us the city to go bold. So the Sustainable Madison Committee drafted a resolution setting a goal of 100% renewable, net zero carbon. What was unique about our goal setting, um, we were the first city in the state of Wisconsin, about number 24 in the nation, uh, is that we didn't set a year goal date. The Sustainability Committee, we decided that we didn't have enough technical expertise to understand how fast and how big we could go with this goal. So we hired a consulting firm that we worked with for the last couple years 
to develop a roadmap called the 100% Renewable Madison Report. And I did bring a, a handful of copies here if anyone would like to take a look at that. Um, but really, the, the roadmap set out three different um, pathways to get to 100% renewable net zero carbon. Um, the, the final outcome from that, working with the uh, consulting firms, is that the Sustainability Committee decided to pick Scenario 3. And Scenario 3 is setting a goal for city operations by 2030 and the community as a whole by 2050. And the, the, re the differences between those three scenarios that were laid out before us was really how much we wanted to kind of pay for our guilt through uh, carbon offsets. And the committee decided that we'd rather spend a little bit longer time doing deeper investments in our own backyards, nuts and bolts and tailpipes in our own backyard uh, to get to true 100% renewable net zero carbon. So we're just gonna kind of go over the, the buckets that are in uh, our roadmap for 100% renewable. Uh, Madison. One is the looking at our demand or our uh, looking at energy efficiency solutions. So we have a dedicated fund at the city of Madison for uh, renovations and energy efficiency improvements throughout our uh, built facilities. Uh, the picture there is of our Madison Municipal Building that uh, was recently renovated. Um, it achieved LEED Platinum certification, uh, which is pretty impressive for a historic landmark. Um, and we didn't really do anything too crazy, just, you know, insulation, looking at the building envelope, LED retrofits, controls, sealing the windows. And we were able to achieve um, with electricity consumption, reducing that by 50%, uh, or sorry, for, uh, yes, 50% for electricity consumption, and then for uh, our heating, a 48% per, uh, reduction for therms. We're also looking at street lights and also uh, water uh, pumping efficiency, water distribution. It takes a lot of energy to pump liquid throughout our city at a pressure high enough that fire, uh, fire trucks can go up to a fire hydrant and get um, what they need. Um, we're also looking at a lot of those renewable energy opportunities, again, with the price of solar going down. Um, we've been doing, uh, as, as Sherry mentioned, a lot of our own installations on our own rooftops as well as ground-mounted solar. Uh, getting, we're almost to one megawatt. That next year, wait for the announcement of the party for the one megawatt achievement. Um, but again, it's only about a little over 1% of our electricity consumption, and we've been doing it for 12 years. So if we want to get to 100% renewable, 12 times how many is going to not be 2030, right? So we're going to have to look at some of those large utility scale renewable opportunities. So we are working with MGE, and it just passed council last month to do a renewable energy rider project for five megawatts uh, just north of the landfill uh, in southeast Madison. And then Sherry also mentioned our uh, investment in the rest of Wisconsin. So we had an opportunity partnering with Organic Valley to uh, basically be an investor at the table for five rural municipal-owned utilities that wanted to go solar, uh, but just didn't have the uh, full amount of money at the table to get those projects off the ground. So by, Mad by Madison uh, joining them and investing in these five rural solar projects, um, those rural communities will be receiving that renewable energy as electrons, and the city of Madison will be actually off-taking the renewable energy credits that'll be supplanting our electricity uh, generation total consumption. Um, so on, also, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to the picture on there of our green power trainees. So the city of Madison for the last three years have been employing individuals from our community who are underemployed to learn the trade of solar, to get certified so they can be employable in the solar industry. 
And then the last bucket, um, part of our 100% uh, Renewable Madison report is on transportation. We are looking at a lot of green fleet strategies uh, as far as anti-idling uh, and GPS. Uh, we are looking at fueling with that landfill renewable natural gas. And I also want to give a quick shout out. Um, we're also working with Dane County. Uh, we received a grant. We were awarded a grant from the EPA to do a feasibility study for a community digester for food scraps, producing that methane from the food scraps and participating in their, their awesome facility at the Dane County Landfill uh, with the uh, ability to inject into the interstate pipeline and participate in that same uh, economy. Uh, we're also looking at our Metro bus fleet. I know that the, the mayor recently released the Metro Forward initiative where we're looking at expanding our current Metro fleet we're looking at electrifying our metro fleet over time. Um, in the meantime, looking at some other uh, no, uh, no emission idling as well as biofuel opportunities, as well as bus rapid transit. And, and that's something that I think is important to think about as a community. Um, I think electric vehicles are awesome, but I don't think the vision, the future vision for our community is the Beltline at 5 p.m., just no tailpipes. So that's where we really need to look at those transit options, especially as we are looking to add 40,000 to 100,000 more people and we live on a literal bottleneck isthmus. So we really need to look at those uh, opportunities to reduce congestion and emissions at the same time. That being said, I'm gonna kind of pivot now to the community as a whole. So those goals for city operations by 2030, we've got a roadmap. We kind of know what we need to do here. Um, it'll, there's going to be you know, projects that we're going to have to get off the ground, but we really want to talk more about what to do with the community goals to get to 100% renewable net zero carbon by 2050. And it's going to take all of us to help and participate in that goal. So just a couple quick uh, shout outs to programs that already exist in our community where you can participate in reducing your demand. So finding those energy efficiency wins. We've got a great statewide program called Focus on Energy. They give out free kits where you can have LED uh, light bulbs, smart strips, low flow shower heads, um, and again, they're free. So please look into that. Uh, we also have our Pace Wisconsin program, which Dane County is participating in. So if you have a commercial property that you're looking to have financing for energy efficiency and renewable energy, Pace Wisconsin is here. Also wanna do a quick shout out to our Mattis Sun Solar program. So that's our city program that is incentivizing um, solar for residential through a group by program. We have incentives for businesses that match the focus on energy incentive. And we just expanded this year for a backyard solar grant program for nonprofits and affordable housing providers. Those were just announced on um, this, this week. Um, and then there's also some utility programs. I have up here MG&E's programs, but the, their other utilities have similar programs where if you don't have a rooftop, if you're a renter, there are ways that you can still participate in renewable energy through their green power program where you pay a, a slight premium on your usage to know that those electrons are coming from a renewable energy project. And then their shared solar project, which Sherry mentioned, started in Middleton on their uh, operations center and is now expanding into the airport project. Again, buying your own panel with your own name on it that says that I'm getting that electricity from a renewable energy source. And then shifting to transportation a little bit, you know, I always want to give a shout out to our Metro Forward. More ridership signals to our elected leaders that we 
uh, can continue to expand, especially as funding beyond the city level is very challenging. There's not a lot of state or federal funding for transit. And then also I would be remiss to not mention um, that we are a platinum certified bike friendly community. Um, so we've got a lot of opportunities to do zero emission, um, burning calories and saving money um, transportation throughout our community. And also, um, this is actually a handout that I actually have over on the table over there, so I am, uh, invite you to grab one before you leave tonight. But it's basically the top 10 things you can do as an individual to contribute to the city of Madison's 100% renewable goals. And the three arrows on here, are they're a little bit hard to read, so I'll just kind of uh, point them out to you. Um, but it's other actions beyond the renewable and energy efficiency and transportation. It says, call or email your alder to let them know you support the city's 100% renewable goals. You can also vote for officials that support clean energy policies, and that could be at the local level, at the state level, and at the federal level. And also support organizations that lobby for state and federal policies that accelerate our trans transition to the, this new energy future. So again, a shout out to the League of Women Voters, Dane County, for the work that they're doing to pay attention to what's happening here locally uh, at a, on a policy level and informing their membership on what they can do. And so just to kind of, I'm going to kind of wrap up really quickly so we can get to the, the panel, but, and this will be addressed in the, in the panel, but I, I wanted to mention that we are limited in some ways. We've run into some challenges as a local unit of government on these goals that we've set for ourselves. Um, and what we think of as the first piece is really, uh, so we set this goal, we have this amazing celebration at council after it's been officially adopted 100% as our goal, and after the confetti is swept up the next day from the big party, what's really going to be happening now is every year going to the, to the, the budget process. And it kicks off in April uh, where agencies submit their budget requests. And it goes through approval processes at committee level. It goes through approval process at the finance committee level. And it ends up on the council desk in November. And that's where the red pens come out. So when we as agencies are putting forth projects to help us get to 100% renewable with this very urgent timeline, there's also a lot of other demands in our community. And so staying on top of this budget timeline and this budget process is really important because we set the goal, but the work is not done. And then the challenges I mentioned that we'll talk about include you know, our utilities as our sole energy providers. Uh, energy markets and re regulatory frameworks that work against some of these renewable energy goals. Our state legislative framework, which Dave mentioned as well with some names. Um, the federal landscape and then even the global compact just with the recent announcement that Donald Trump is formally submitting his uh, removal of the United States from the Paris Agreement. Um, I was watching NewsHour on PBS the other night and the gentleman who negotiated the United States, on behalf of the United States under the Obama administration mentioned that China has seen the signal from the Trump administration and is backing off of their renewable energy goals as well. So this is something that we as uh, leaders at the local level need to also lead at the, at the greater level because we're actually going to be influencing other communities by leading ourselves. And it's important to know your role as a resident in the community of the three-legged stool I call uh, government. So as a, a staff person, I was fortunate enough before I became a staff person to sit on the Sustainable Madison Committee as a resident member. And I got to see 
sort of how policy was crafted by crafting the 100% renewable resolution and understanding how residents play a role by coming and giving public comments, by contacting their elected leaders. And now that I'm sitting on the other side of the table as a staff person, I actually sit back and I wait for the committee to tell me what they would like to put forth as policy. And the public that comes forward has ideas for policy that the committee can draft. It then goes to our elected leaders for approval and potentially um, resource allocation, including staff time. So that means that I will work for you through this process. And so that's why it's really important to understand your role to help me achieve the goals that you've set. And lastly, you know, this is um, a really great video from NASA. If you get a chance to watch this, I, I highly implore, implore you to do that. It's from 2006, it's a little bit dated, but it's a year in the life of carbon emissions globally. And it really shows, it's amazing because it shows the Earth breathing, basically, in and out. And what is important to note is that carbon emissions don't care about municipalities, counties, state borders, right? We're all on this together. As you can see, even from 2006, it's continued to increase emissions-wise. In addition to that, as we saw from the rain event in August uh, 2018, our larger rain events do also do not care where Middleton ends and Madison begins. And it also doesn't care when there's high heat days, who's affected. So in that sense, being all in it together is very important for Dane County. And there was an initiative that was kicked off in August, uh, a vision from Dane County Executive Joe Parisi, as well as Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway, to bring together the mayors and city administrators for all the cities, towns, and villages in Dane County to talk about how we can collaborate together on issues such as stormwater, energy efficiency, fleet and transportation, as well as renewables. Um, so we just had our four working group meetings of these uh, cities, towns, and villages um, in October. And the larger group will be reconvening sometime in January to talk about how we can kick off some of these collaborative projects together, knowing that we need to share in resources and share in the outcomes. So with that, I'm going to pause here so we can take on to the panel. Thank you. Thank you to our panelists so far. That was super informative and, and hope, hopeful. All right, so I'll hand over to Sherry Gruder, who is going to conduct, uh, give these, these prepared questions. Super, okay. So I think the first thing, um, since a lot of this has been touched on, I'd like to talk about are um, what do you, and, and we'll all address this, but um, what are the barriers to local governments moving rapidly toward a clean energy economy, local, state, federal, business, and industry associations? I touched on it somewhat in my presentation um, a little bit, but uh, there are and I think Sherry mentioned it as well, uh, but third party is something that um, the city of Milwaukee attempted to do uh, with Eagle Point Solar uh, and then was shut down by their utility we energies. And so that's the, the case that is going before our state Supreme Court to challenge that. So I would say third part, so with uh, the solar that the city of Madison has installed, we pay for it upfront with capital debt. And it's expensive, right? Uh, 
But there's another financing mechanism that's very similar to instead of paying for it all up front is more of a leasing option. So it's very similar to your car. You could pay for it all up front. You can get debt for it or you can lease it. And this leasing option is available in several other states, I think like 22 or 24 other states. Um, and a lot of the communities that have reached their 100% renewable goals have done it through this mechanism. And so it's, it's challenging when you have so little you can do on your own rooftops to not be able to uh, go out and, and get a large scale renewable energy project that you can then finance over time through this leasing option. Um, so that would, that would be one place where I, potentially the courts could decide on this. Um, I would say that there's other places where it'd be really nice for the community-wide uh, renewable energy goals to be met sooner and faster through a renewable portfolio standard. Um, we have one set for the state, but it's quite dusty and old. Um, and other states are not only continuing to set more aggressive renewable portfolio standards, but the utilities are actually meeting those more aggressive standards uh, ahead of schedule. And so, again, those are just some other um, just quick off the bat ideas that come to my mind of where we could move, move ourselves forward that I'm seeing other states doing. I would only note that uh, we all should feel very lucky that we live in Dane County and, in fact, we do have the resources and the leadership both of the municipal governments, um, in, in my case at Dane County working for County Executive Parisi along with county board leadership, um, you know, to be able to spend $28 million on a renewable natural gas facility at our landfill. Uh, other counties certainly, other municipalities in this state that don't have those, those frankly, those capabilities. And, and that's where additional state leadership is needed. And of course, only very recently at, 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 at the governor level here in Wisconsin are we now seeing new leadership once again after, of course, it was lost for many years. Uh, and so um, with, with, with new state leadership in, in place, um, it, it will certainly get easier. But we here in Dane County um, certainly um, appreciate all your support um, on making sure we do the work we need to do to walk the walk and, and reduce climate change emissions wherever we can. So another thing I would say is that um, one of the things we have in our state is um, a lack of policy at the state level. And so what's happening is um, there was a study that just came out comparing Minnesota to Wisconsin and how much further they've moved ahead. And it's because they have so many enabling policies at the state level that we don't have. And one of them is, um, and, and it'll lead to the next question, but it's all about equity and inclusion. This can't just be for people who can afford to put solar on. It's really important, especially for people who are low to mid income, that um, energy is a big part of their budget. And if we reduce that, they can spend the money on important other things. And so how do we bring that to them? And so in some states, community solar gardens are a huge way to do that. But the states have actually passed enabling legislation that says if you're going to build a community solar garden, then a percentage of it 
20% has to be at a lower rate for people's affordability that fall within whatever percent of, you know, um, of their earning standards. And, um, and, and it's those kinds of things that are more forward-thinking and uh, that we don't have. And the other thing is, is that many states that don't have regulated utilities, but even some that do, um, are um, moving ahead because they are allowing free market enterprise. And here, the utilities are trying to own uh, most of the solar. So distributed energy is happening less. And one of the things that all of these plans look toward is resilience. It's not just mitigating climate change, right, reducing the inputs to that are increasing our greenhouse gases, but it's how are we going to prepare for the changes that we know are going to happen, even if we get to that mitigation level. And, um, and so we need, to, we need to become resilient, and part of that is going to be generating our energy locally and then being able to store that energy locally so when we lose power, you know, we can still cool buildings and not have people die of heat stroke or, you know, get out of the cold if it's in the winter and we have, you know, more polar vortexes and all of that kind of thing. So anyway, those are, those are just some ideas of what could be done that um, would go a really long way to helping us move forward in, in a very constructive way so that um, it's a, the quality of life here would be a lot better and, of course, everywhere. Okay, so um, what, what have you done in your efforts to promote inclusion and equity in um, choices for uh, clean energy? Well, I can certainly just address that question at the, uh, as I had mentioned, the, uh, the Dane County Council on Climate Change uh, certainly made a major effort and to ensure that that all voices are heard here in Dane County um, because of certainly the from from the, from the public health impacts to the cost of energy certainly many income levels many income groups here in this community are, are more affected than others and so uh, certainly Keith Riopel, as the director of the Office of Energy and Climate Change, uh, made sure that all organizations here in Dane County were, were represented and will continue to be represented as we uh, uh, implement the Dane County Climate Action Plan. Um, I mentioned before our expansion of the Madison Solar Program to nonprofits and affordable housing providers, and that's you know, enabling solar to be provided for those who can't participate in the federal tax credit and for members of our community uh, in affordable housing. Um, but beyond that, we are actually partnering with um, Equity by Design to hold stakeholder focus group meetings on our 100% Renewable Madison report to help us start considering how we want to implement those uh, initiatives as well as how we want to work with the community to help the community reach those goals. So we'll be meeting... Uh, together over the next, uh, the beginning of 2020 to hopefully roll out some of those ideas coming from the, the focus group and stakeholder meetings.
Yeah, we're we're there to the to the seventh inning. Um, so everybody, we're, there's going to be opportunity for more questions. We would like to ask uh, those who are leaving and those who are staying to take a trip out in the hall now and to put your name tags back in the in the rack. So we'll see you back in here in about five minutes. Thanks. Hi, we're at the question time where you. You all get to ask us questions. Um, there is one thing I do want to say, and that is, um, so I work for uh, UW-Madison Extension, and I direct a program called Energy on Wisconsin. And I put out a monthly newsletter about what's going on with energy in Wisconsin, um, locally, at the state level, federally, and globally. Um, so if you really want to... Um, keep abreast of what's happening, please go to Energy on Wisconsin um, and, uh, get, or just send me an email and we'll put you on the newsletter list um, because that talks about funding, education opportunities, uh, as well as you know news about what's going on. It gives you resources to read, et cetera. Okay, so, and that's how we get the word out about what everybody's doing and, um, and, and how we're doing too. Okay. Questions? Thank you, 350.org. I mentioned before uh, your help in getting the 100% resolution uh, drafted and passed. Um, I mentioned the budget process, and I think that's super important. Um, there are competing interests uh, with limited resources at the local unit of government for the municipalities, uh, all municipalities, in fact. And so it, it becomes more, it becomes very important to um, to follow that process and, and, um, and let elected leaders know what, if it's A or B, which one you'd support. But beyond that, um, I had the fortune of seeing um, Catherine Hayhoe speak at the Growing Sustainable Communities Conference a few weeks ago. And she's got a TED Talk out there. Uh, and her, her um, when people ask her, what's the biggest thing I can do as an individual to Im make a great impact as far as climate change is to talk to people about it. Um, and that's something where uh, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities to basically create a pyramid scheme <laughs> of, of going out. And if each person talks to five people that I don't have a chance to talk to, we can get the entire community not only on board on these goals, but also understanding the challenges that we have. So I would say talk to five people. Well said, Stacy. I mean, ditto for the county um stay involved it's it's budget season our our budget process for this year is almost over um a great deal of funding going in to uh uh the county executive's proposal that's about to be passed this this, this coming monday but uh stay involved all year and uh we, we, we too certainly most appreciate all your support to your to your first question uh, the nitty-gritty question of how do you capture methane? I think you may have seen just briefly in that video the picture of the landfill that's out on Highway 1218, and it's it's a it's a facility that's regulated by the Department of Natural Resources. Um, there are literally wells, there are pipes driven into that landfill because in essence, rotting garbage um, emits methane. 
it's important that that methane be released. And by federal law, of course, those very much damaging climate change emissions at a minimum you know, must be burned. Uh, for 20 years, we put that methane through electric en through engines to create electricity. We are now making that transition to renewable natural gas. But basically, it's that, 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 that large landfill that you see has wells that then capture that methane and now is currently being turned into fuel. And your second question I forgot is, there certainly have been communities through the years that have been generating electricity, but because, uh, in part, because wind and solar prices have come down so far, uh, a lot of those landfills that were generating renewable electricity have now been, been shut down and are no longer producing renewable electricity, but are similarly trying to make the transition that Dane County has made. I would add to that that what we're seeing around the state is wastewater treatment plants also um, produce um, methane and um, and a lot of them are capturing it. They're using it not only to run their plants but to uh, use the heat um, from it to also help um, run the plants. And so what we're finding is that these wastewater treatment plants, including the one in Dane County, um, are also generating energy to run their plants, which could be about a third of the energy use of, let's say, county government or city government. So um, that's another type of project that's happening and that is happening all around the state right now. Um, combined heat and power and methane capture from um, wastewater treatment plants. Um, I, as I said earlier, um, there isn't big promotion of um, what we call distributed energy, which is people owning their own solar and putting it back on the grid. Because the price that you're given for the solar you would put back on the grid is so low, it will make your payback period of putting solar on so long. So typically, people and businesses will size their systems to just provide as much as they need or a percent of what they need, not even all they need, because they don't want to put it back on the grid because they'll lose money. So we have a potential, if that weren't the case, to have bigger systems on businesses and on municipal buildings and on homes. Um, and in other states where they get a buyback rate that's much higher, net metering rate, um, which we also don't have legislation on, um, it's actually a huge money saver for people, and we have a lot more distributed energy. So um, that's a, it's an issue in Wisconsin. It's not just an MG&E issue. Um, we Energies has um, started something called a rent-a-roof program, or it's, they don't call it that, but that's what it's generally referred to around the country. And um, it's where the utility basically says, we will pay to put the solar on your roof. We're going to rent your roof from you. Um, so you don't have to pay for the solar, but that's what a third-party solar system would do, too, in the free market. But this is the way that the, or the utilities are capturing kind of the free market part of it and basically trying to own all the generation. So it's a little bit complicated. Um, 
and I don't think it's a matter of just explaining it <laughs> um, or getting a better website from MG&E. I think the best thing is like what Madison and all the communities around here are doing, which is, um, and a lot of it's through either Renew Wisconsin or the Midwest Renewable Energy Association, which is if you want to put solar on, go through a solar group buy program, get the costs down, get them to help you size it so you don't lose money on it. And um, and that would be my comment. The city of Madison created a task force to look at government structure, specifically with the knowledge that our current structure is not very accessible. Uh, city meetings held downtown at either too early in the day or too late at night, where people have to go home to their families or maybe take a, an evening job. That doesn't necessarily give a lot of opportunity for public input. Um, part of the work with Equity by Design is to create um, a pathway forward on engagement around our mitigation plan, our 100% Renewable Madison report with the community that's being built by the community. So it's community driven through this stakeholder group um, that we hope to then expand further. And it's not only with our 100% Renewable Madison report, but we are now pivoting to resiliency planning. We're going to be looking first at internal operations uh, with a uh, partnership with WIKI, the Wisconsin Initiative on Climate Change Impacts, and the Nelson Institute, uh, to look at city operations to then pivot to the community as a whole. Um, we know that we're going to have to engage the community on our adaptation and resiliency. Um, so we're, we're taking a step forward with our mitigation plan to uh, prepare us for that, that next step with the resiliency planning in the community. Carol, I, I, I certainly agree with you, and it's ever more critical at this stage to involve the public. Um, action plans are one thing, but the proof's in the pudding, of course, in terms of how you, how you deliver for the community, and certainly having the public involvement at this now critical stage of Dane County's community-wide action plan and the implementation of it is, 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 is very important. I do know that one of the committees of the Climate Council is the Public Involvement Council, a uh, public involvement committee, which will certainly continue to meet and become ever more active to make sure that you all understand how the 70 different recommendations that are soon to be announced are going to get implemented. I would like to add finally that um, businesses are a huge part of moving us toward clean energy. When um, Stacy had mentioned that I used to chair the Madison um, Sustainability Committee, and we did a study and found that um, the majority of the energy use is through commercial um, enterprises in our state, so just or in our cities. So just getting um, the city operations there is is just a small part of the energy use, and so um, getting the businesses involved is important uh, and. I would say also that the national trend that's actually driving PV solar right now is the fact that we are getting distributed generation on commercial and manufacturing properties. So we are having a lot of businesses be part of this, and they are installing solar. Uh, you know, everything from um, Walmart kind of stores to Capital Brewery, you know. So um, there's a lot of that happening, and, and, it, and that's a really important audience because that's where most of the energy um, is, use is, is coming from. 
and uh, we need we need to make sure to work with them and reach out to them. Madison tried to do um, a benchmarking requirement where uh, businesses would uh, uh, commercial building owners would have to actually report their energy use and um, so that they would know how much energy they were using so that then they could do something about it, like reduce it, um, using uh, Energy Star Portfolio Manager. And unfortunately, that didn't pass. And now we have state laws that preclude the cities from actually making that happen. We can't do anything that's more stringent than what the state government says. So we have to work with them voluntarily, and I just think that that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And um, they have been wonderful partners. So, you know, reach out to businesses, not just to five people you know. Thank you. Also, we need to talk more about science sometime in the future.